This episode of the Darko Audio Podcast is brought to you by NAD Electronics, makers of the Masters M33 Blue OS streaming DAC amplifier. It does everything from high-res streaming to DRAC room correction, all with the clarity and power of the Purify Eigentact amplification technology. Find out more at nadelectronics.com and visit your local NAD dealer for a demo. Welcome everybody back to another Darko Audio podcast. With me this time out is one Jack Ockley Brown from Kef. Welcome, Jack. Hi, John. Thank you for inviting me along. Now, Jack, can you tell us what's your role at Kef? I am now the head of research and development. So I am in charge of the team of engineers in Maidstone who uh, develop all the acoustic technology that goes in Kef products. Right. And today. We, we're going to talk about something called metamaterials, and then we're also going to talk about how you've implemented those. But first of all, can you, can you tell us a little bit about what what is a metamaterial? Yeah, it's maybe a term that uh, people won't be that familiar with, um, but it is something which has had a bit of a presence in engineering and especially uh, in research at, at various universities around the world and lots of different mm. disciplines, not just acoustics. So it's the idea that um, it's useful in quite a lot of circumstances to get away from the limitations of what natural materials can provide. So we're talking about acoustics, so I'll make it specific to acoustics. Okay. Um, so, for example, in, in loudspeakers and in lots of other acoustic applications, we have uh, the requirement to absorb sound. And traditionally, what's that, what that has meant is that we try and find a material that naturally absorbs sound. So that mm. could be, uh, for example, wool, uh, you know, wadding made from hemp or something like that or a foam uh, maybe made from uh, some kind of uh, polymer. Mm. Uh, and in that case, uh, really the, the performance of that material as an absorber really depends on the structure. And it really comes down to uh, something called its flow resistance. So just how, how well does air flow through it? Um, mm. You can't really get away from, you know, the properties that are just there in these occur naturally occurring materials. You, you're restricted by what's available. Um, and the idea of a metamaterial is to say, well, rather than you know, trying to search around for something that does acoustically what we want, let's flip it around and say, well, if we could have any structure we want, can we synthesize something that does precisely the job we need in terms of absorption? Uh, mm. And I'm, I'm talking about acoustics, but metamaterials are also being used in other areas too, like optics and uh, microwave and radio and things like that. So it's this concept that you synthesize the structure to give you the results you want. So but you're still using natural materials, though, I would think, to make the metamaterial, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, you know, uh, that kind of comes into the name of it so you control it on a kind of uh, meta basis so you have a mm. um, something that's composed of another material but you've got these repeating blocks of it that are particular shapes that give you the characteristic that you want so you know for example 
uh, in so let's take a lens. So uh, an optical lens. We know that the the idea of a lens is it focuses light, right? And we normally do mm. that by having a lens which is shaped. So it's got some profile to it. So the idea is maybe instead of doing that, you create a material where the speed of sound is different in different parts of the lens. And that could either be used to create a lens in something that was completely flat or to augment uh, a, a shaped lens. And by mm. doing that, you can achieve properties that you just wouldn't be able to get uh, if you were just trying to find or trying to use just the underlying natural material properties. So when you're talking about the structure of material, you're not really talking about the molecular level, are you? You're talking something slightly higher than that, right? Yeah, definitely. And in terms of acoustics, it's quite a lot higher than that. So uh, mm. we're talking, you know, in the region of something below a couple of millimeters, uh, the structure, mm. that's where we're controlling it. So it's not, you know, you can see it e even uh, with the naked eye. It's not even really on a microscopic level. So for acoustics, uh, we can use relatively large uh, metamaterials, large structure metamaterials. So if you wanted to, you could actually synthesize your own sort of foam wadding that you might put inside a speaker, right? Precisely. Yes, that is really right. what it's all about. So right. um, we have um, partnered up with a, a specialist technology company based in Hong Kong called Acoustical Metamaterials Group. And we approached them actually mm -hmm. with, you know, this uh, idea to say, well, you know, metamaterials are starting to be used in some parts of industry. And mm -hmm. uh, this company, AMG, they have some great technology on absorbing sound and saying, well, can we use this technology in a way to improve some aspect of loudspeaker performance? And you know, we look straight away at absorbing sound inside a loudspeaker. That's right. yeah, the first thing we went to. Are you the first company to do this? Do you, do you know of? Or? Yeah, I'm not aware of any loudspeaker that you can go out and buy that has a metamaterial in. I believe we're the first. I may be wrong. There may be some um, manufacturer, niche manufacturer I haven't heard of. Yeah, but yeah. certainly nobody, nobody that I'm aware of. Uh, I mean, whether I doubt we're the first company to... Well, sorry, I doubt we're the first people to ever put a metamaterial in a speaker because somebody at some university's probably done it at some point, but right. not yes. on what we're talking about in a mainstream product that is accessible. So not on a commercial level, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, I see. And so, I mean, I guess we have to ask, you know, are you creating sort of wool absorbers for inside a speaker or are you creating some other kind of material for a different part of the speaker so no it's um it's to absorb the sound that you don't want to hear that's what we're focused on so when you have sure. a loudspeaker driver uh it's mm -hmm. uh, radiating sound uh from the front the side of the cone that mm -hmm. you see and that's what you'll listen to um of course, there's just as much movement of the cone on the other side, uh, and the sound that's created there is radiated inwards into the cabinet. Uh, and mm. in fact, the whole reason we have a cabinet is to contain that sound. The issue is that in containing it, you have to mm. make sure it doesn't color the sound that's coming forward. So that could uh, the easiest way to think about that is uh, that the sounds inside the cabinet, it can bounce around and it can hit the cone again and then cause the cone to move again. So, so is it a sorry? Is it a bit like a a room, a room for the drivers? Like yeah. a, the, the, our room colors are the loudspeakers 
you know, in the in the in the macro sense, but on a micro level, the the surrounding baffles of the drivers also act as like a a mini room for the drivers. Is that right? Or inside no? inside the cabinet, yeah, the acoustics are exactly mm. the same. Yeah, if you take right. a uh, say a bass driver, then inside the loudspeaker enclosure, you have modes just like you have in a room, uh, or right. you can call them standing waves, just like you could in a room. And yeah. they cause resonances, and those resonances quite quite easily color the sound of the loudspeaker. So, how do we get rid of them? Well, we absorb them, and if we can absorb them uh, better, if we can absorb them more completely, then we can get a more natural sound from the front of the loudspeaker, the bit that you hear. So that's our focus. You know, is how can we use this metamaterial technology to reduce the coloration of the loudspeaker? Um, mm-hmm. So the the particular reason we were keen to team up with AMG is their technology is very wide bandwidth. So a lot of a lot of uh, focus on metamaterials has been on particular industrial applications where there tends to be say an, uh, a requirement for very high sound absorption just of one frequency or just a group of frequencies. But right. AMG's technology is broadband, so it's a really wide range of frequencies and that's mm. exactly suitable for a speaker where you know we're interested in a, a speaker that produces you know, everything you can hear which is phenomenally wide range um, and that's why we're particularly interested to work with them and uh, it was also something where you know once we got in touch and we found we had a, a real connection with their engineering team they were really interested in uh loudspeakers uh you know mm. they'd never really thought uh, that their technology would have an application there and uh the collaboration yeah was really successful in the sense that you got kind of input from both sides uh, mm. and we ended up with something uh that we you know will be applying we'll talk about that in a minute in, mm. <laughs> in lots of products <laughs> in the future right <laughs> So, I mean, can you give us a, a sort of an indication of the time frame that this kind of development process takes? I mean, did you start this a year ago, two years ago? Uh, yeah, it's uh, more than a year, less than two years. I think around about 18 months ago. So it's been a relatively uh, quick development uh, once we uh, got you know, contact and we decided on a project and, and uh, we got going with it. So, mm. yeah, it, it's it's strange in... Uh, product development and research that you you have some topics that you know you think they're going to be very quick to do and they can take forever <laughs> and then sometimes you have right. one that comes along like this where all the pieces fall into place and and everything comes together so well uh, that you know you're there ready to put it into product much sooner than you expected mm. and did you have I mean, we won't tell, talk about the product just yet, but did you have an idea of which product you would put these uh, metamaterials into, or did you think, oh, we can put this into all of our speakers, or is that something that's sort of decided at boardroom level by very serious people? Well, it's just really determined by maturity of technology more than anything. Mm. So at the very beginning, uh, it was very exploratory. Uh, of course, you know, we, we didn't even know if... Uh, would uh, come to something that was useful <laughs> at the very mm. beginning. So, you know, it took us a while to get to kind of a, a, a validation stage done. And then we realized, you know, that if we push things, we could get it into uh, a product quicker than we expected. So, you know, at that point, we 
kind of make everybody else <laughs> outside of R&D aware of this and say, well, do you want to go for it? Uh, and yeah, we got the thumbs up to do it in uh, in the product we're going to talk about. <laughs> right, because it's quite interesting because normally when a, a company has um, a new technology, they start by putting it into their flagship products, right? So, you, But you're not putting this into Muon or Blade or anything like that, are you? I mean, maybe now's the time for you to share where you're going to put this. No, that's right. Well, the first uh, application of the Meta Material Absorption Technology is in the new LS50, the LS50 Meta, and -hmm. also in its sibling, the new LS50 Wireless 2. So it's a very accessible product, but it's also an entirely appropriate product. Uh, Mm. The LS50 uh, was really a speaker born out of the engineering department. And it was packed with technology and technology that wasn't necessarily in a whole range of speakers at that point either. So if we remember Mm. back to that time, it was the first time we had the flexible port technology, the first time we had damped bracing. And I I think that we sometimes uh, can cause some headaches, I guess, in an ideal world. You'd uh, always put the flagship technology into the most expensive product and trickle it down. but from an engineering perspective, it's if you have an opportunity to make a product better by applying a technology that you have ready, we always like to do it. Why not? We, mm. you know, we can offer something to the customer that gives them a better experience, uh, a better sound. Why not? But also, I mean, because I remember back in when, when was it twenty thirteen? You introduced the LS fifty, the first one. Is it twenty twelve or twenty thirteen? Right. Something like I that. I think it's, it's and, something like that. <laughs> Long time, am yeah. I right? <laughs> am I right in thinking that the 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 very original plan was to only make this for one year, and then it was going to be discontinued? But it did so well that they just kept they just said, "Well, we'd be crazy to stop this now." It was it was always as an anniversary celebration uh, hmm. for the year. Um, so it, I, 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 I'm probably the wrong person to ask. Would they have ever actually discontinued it if there was demand? I, I guess not, but yeah, it was it was as an anniversary celebration, mm. and it was to an extent a step into the unknown because it was this one product that didn't fit into a range. Um, right, it was quite different from a lot of the other speakers uh, in terms of how it looked, um, and we didn't really know, uh, of course, that it would take off like it did and it would capture people's imagination and people to love it so much. Um, mm. But yes, of course, once once you know, we saw how much people liked it, uh, and we saw you know that people the demand was there. Of course, we carried on making it. Yes, mm. and and now you're revising it as well as re- revising its its. Well, I guess it's uh, not successor. It's sort of bigger brother, the active version. So now you've got LS50 version two, which is called LS50 Meta, and then LS50 Wireless um, two as well, yeah. and. Both of these speakers are going to have this meta material in them. Can you could you explain to us where that lives and why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the the first place that we've applied the meta material absorption technology is behind the tweeter dome, and mm. the reason we've chosen that area is because it's very critical to get the rear sound from a tweeter absorbed successfully, and there's a quite simple reason, which is all about the proportions of the the space behind 
the driver compared to the driver size. So in, in a tweeter, you don't have a lot of space behind the dome. So if we take mm. a 25-millimeter uh, diameter tweeter like we've got in the LS50, uh, mm. most of that space behind that is occupied by the motor system. So we end up having to direct the rear sound from the tweeter into some kind of uh, tube or duct or something like that. And because we're squeezing the sound into quite a small space, small relative to the dome, you mm. see the effect of any resonance or irregularity in that space very extremely. So if you just, for example, put a, a, a tube behind the, the tweeter and you um, throw in a bit of uh, wadding like you, you, know, you might find in a pillow, you will be able to easily see resonances in the tweeter. And it, mm. if you naively say, okay, well, I'll try and make that better. So I'll say, well, I'll have a cavity behind that, a big opening out, and I'll fill that full of wadding. Then it gets even worse because you're squeezing the sound through this constriction. So it's mm -hmm. really an important place to get the acoustics exactly right. Um, and it's something, you know, we've been aware of, aware of for a long time. We, have had um, you know progressively improving technology in the area. Uh, you'll remember absorption uh, lined tubes uh, starting mm -hmm. in, in muon, for example, and then being refined through blade, and then more recently in our series um, a wedge tipped mm -hmm. absorber. So it, it's an area where we can see if we make improvements, we get uh, benefits in in the final product. So mm. it's really a key a key area, um, and it's also uh, something that we know we will end up uh, with quite a controlled structure as well. So the first time we're applying this, it's quite useful to have something that's uh, not too large, uh, just physically not too large for the absorber itself. So this absorber is, it, I mean, from my understanding, it's a disc shape with a, a, a maze-like pattern. It's yeah, almost edged yeah. into it, right? I mean, we talk very, very around and about what a metamaterial is, but um, when it, we, if we talk specifically about the metamaterial that we're using, the metamaterial technology uh, that AMG have co-developed with us, it's got a particular structure. So right. our metamaterial is composed of a number of tubes, very narrow tubes, and quite long tubes, in fact. And the lengths of the tubes are very carefully selected. And what happens is that at different frequencies different tubes absorb the sound. And right. the the first tube is is pretty long. I forget right now. It's um I know it starts absorbing from uh six hundred hertz. So I think it's about twenty five centimeters long. And then from that you've got thirty other tubes of decreasing lengths, um, all carefully optimized in length. Uh, mm. And if you took one of these tubes and used it without any of the others you would get uh, absorption at very specific repeated frequencies. Right. So like a comb effect of absorption. Yeah. And then as you progressively add in the others, it's like placing more combs on top of each other. So your absorption goes from being uh, fingers of absorption, not the whole spectrum, to being something which progressively becomes broadband total absorption of the sound. Right, okay. Um, so... Of course, we need to pack that into the real product. And 25 centimeters into a, a tweeter is quite 
Uh, it sounds quite big compared to a, a tweeter. Do you mean 25 centimetres or 25 millimetres? I mean, am I, am I thinking literally it's like it's, it's that's going to be a very deep speaker? Yeah, precisely. So it's 25 millimetres of length of the longest of the metamaterial tubes. Right, right. So it is it is big, but each tube is quite small in cross-section. So it's only two millimetres by two millimetres. So the mm. solution to making the whole thing compact is to fold all these tubes up. So luckily, you know, only the longest tube is 25 centimetres. And then as we go through the different tubes, they get smaller. Um, so to make it something which is compact and manufacturable, we fold all these tubes, uh, and the out, you know, the outcome of that is that the whole thing ends up looking like a disc uh, with two layers, with a maze of tubes all folded up into these. these two ah, discs. that's why it looks like that. Yeah. Okay. So essentially, you've just got a a, um, a large collection of narrow band absorbers that sum to a broader band absorber. Yeah. Above yeah. above six hundred hertz, is that right? 600? That's exactly yeah. right. And right. so it's it's very very like uh, listeners may be familiar with a quarter wave resonator, which absorbs sound at its quarter wave resonance. So that's precisely the same as the mm. first absorption of each of these tubes. Uh, but each tube also absorbs at harmonics of that too. Mm-hmm. So the, this comb pattern happens so you have tube one absorbing at multiples of 600 and then tube two tuned to fill in some gaps and then three and four and five all the way up to 30 and by that point you have a continuous absorption spectrum Mm. and and also one of the keys here is the size of the tube is quite critical too Mm. because the of course the energy has to go has to go somewhere The, the tubes are uh, have solid walls. We're we're using uh, ABS to make the parts, uh, mm-hmm. so the energy is actually dissipated into the air itself uh, because of uh, viscous shear forces in the tube. So that only mm-hmm. happens when the tube is very small. So that's also there in the optimization processes. How big should these tubes be? Can I ask a dumb question? This is probably a dumb question. <laughs> so would you need an enormous speaker cabinet if you wanted to do this for the mid-bass driver as well? Or is it just is it just engineering-wise just an impossible task to do it at lower frequencies? No, the, the key thing that's really interesting about this is that it allows you to absorb frequencies with a much smaller volume occupied mm. than you normally would. So normally, if we're trying to absorb broadband, so we're not mm. talking about single uh, single frequencies like a resonant absorber, then mm. you have to have something like a quarter of a wavelength of depth to the absorber. Okay. Uh, so you know we'd be looking at something like half a meter in that case. So right. Okay. The the beauty of this is it gives you the ability to s- absorb a smooth wideband spectrum in around about a tenth i think it's around about a tenth of a wavelength and one of the key things that amg's research have shown is actually their structure is close to the theoretical minimum depth you can get uh, for absorbing a particular spectrum so if you try to do it conventionally and use wadding um, 
So, you know, some wool or some wadding and maybe a tube mm. uh, full of that or even a tapered tube full of that, you would need to have something like a half a meter long tube to do the same job. Whereas with okay. the metamaterial structure, at just over 600 hertz, to so say 650 hertz, we're absorbing around about 99% of the sound that enters the absorber. So it's it, pretty comprehensive, it, yeah. Yeah, and it's just kind of game-changing in the, in, in the sense that, okay, could we fit a half-meter-long absorber into an LS50? Well, yeah, you, you probably could, but it would compromise the product quite heavily. It would you know, have to be put somewhere, constructed somehow. So it, it, it's kind of a, a, a paradigm shift for how we look at absorption. So did you makes, have a little sort of like... Sorry, did you have a little sort of high five moment in in your engineering lab when you when you first <laughs> implemented it and like measured the results and when this well, is amazing. We, I mean, we um, it, we we knew the 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 results to you know what was theoretically possible because of mm. AMG's uh, work on the theory and also some of the work they'd done within industrial partners. But I think the thing that we didn't know was you know can we do this within the restrictions of everything else that goes into a driver? Right. And and then also, can we make it really completely smooth and broadband? Uh, a, a lot of the AMG uh, other applications are like noise control. So if the absorption isn't perfectly even across frequency, it doesn't necessarily matter so much as long as it's taking away the noise. But of course, you know, in a tweeter, it's totally critical that we get something that's very, very even across frequency. So, uh, I guess in retrospect, you just look back and you think, yeah, that, I mean, that, I, I, there was a, a point where we we measured the absorption spectrum of the first prototype parts, and we got something that was very, very smooth from 600 hertz all the way up as high as we could measure. And I, I think at that point. Yeah, we that was if anything our high five moment. Uh, but I right. mean that was probably a you know a, a year after first starting working on it. Okay, so you but have a long time difficult. to kind of yeah. <laughs> right. And so, like from your perspective, I mean, like, can you tell us what this meta material did to the the frequencies output? I mean, into either subjectively or, or measurement wise, or so the. In terms of measurement, that that's um, something we we've 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 got a white paper uh, that should be available now, if not shortly. And there is also an AS paper, so you can see in those you can see measurements of the absorption. Uh, so you can see mm. if you have this absorber, you send a pulse of sound into it. it everything above six hundred hertz just disappears. Right. Um, so technically, you know, we knew right away that that is really the ideal result uh, for what you want to do with the sound behind a tweeter. But then comes the question of, okay, what's what's the effect on the overall performance, mm. of course, because it's not the only thing going on in the tweeter. Right. Um, yeah. And this was a, a concern we had quite early on, actually, um, because we changed quite a few aspects of the tweeter to really make the most of this absorber. So one, one of the key things is that you have a, a certain size of tweeter. Um, did you hear my the train? <laughs> I did. I heard the train. One of the key things is uh, 
one of the key things is you have a certain size of tweeter diaphragm, but behind mm. that, as we said, we have a motor system, and we then have to have a hole through which we direct the sound. Mm-hmm. And there's um, a proportion there of, well, how big is the tweeter? What's the area of the tweeter compared to the hole that you're directing the sound through? Because mm. from our perspective, you know, the 99% absorption is kind of tempered by the size of this hole. So if you get 99% absorption, but your hole's only a quarter of the area of the dome, then actually you're not absorbing 99% of the sound. Right, right. <laughs> so, we, you know, we kind of early on realized, you know, to make this work really, really well, what the right thing to do is, is to re-engineer the tweeter and just make that vent at the back that the sound goes down as big as we possibly could make it. And we pushed it quite hard. So we ended up increasing the size of the vent hole by two and a half times in area. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's some pictures again in the white paper that you can have a look at. But, you know, Mm -hmm. it, it went from being a pretty substantial venting hole to the biggest venting hole I've seen in a 25 millimeter tweeter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, if you're going to go to the extent of doing the metamaterial and all this trouble, then let's make it work really, really well was kind of our philosophy. Mm. And and that actually turned out some other interesting, interesting issues as well of, you know, we have to put the metamaterial at the back of the driver because even though it's very compact, it's still, got to fit around the motor system so mm-hmm. we spent a lot of time uh, looking at how is how can we direct the sound down this vent tube so that as much of it gets absorbed as possible because there's there's a danger that you get a reflection off the boundary so of, mm. of the tube and the metamaterial yes, yeah. so not all right. of the sounds actually going into the metamaterial some of it's bouncing off so that again is is something that um is key to this design and took a, a lot of effort and time up uh, in the development work. But anyway, coming back to your original question, what's the effect? Well, the, the overall effect is that we we can't measure the effect of the rear cavity anymore. So normally if you measure a tweeter and you do it, say, very close so that you eliminate everything else apart from just what's coming from the dome, or you, what we, we often do is we use a laser to measure the velocity of the dome. Okay. Normally, you can see something to do with the back cavity there. So some reflection uh, it might be quite small. Maybe you've controlled it well. Sometimes it's bigger than you'd like. We can't see it on, on the new one. So, you, you know, it, it's just like that rear sound disappears. Uh, hmm. Now, what's the effect on the sound? Well, it, we've changed a lot in the whole speaker. I Hand on heart. What's the metamaterial? What's everything else? You can't really separate it <laughs> that easily. Um, so technically, we've taken it to you know as extreme as we could possibly do it. The overall sound of the speaker is a significant step forwards compared to the LS50, and right. that had to be our target. Uh, sure. Something we 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 were you know. LS50 is loved by so many people now, and it's kind of something where it is its own thing. It has its own following, own personality. People will like mm-hmm. LS50 who are not were not previously Kef fans. Uh, maybe they tried other Kef speakers, but the LS50 is the one they love. Mm-hmm. And and we always had this worry that you know to do the next one of a classic, you've got to execute it phenomenally well mm-hmm. to do the original justice. 
otherwise, you know, people will, will recognize, you know, that it isn't, uh, it'll be in the shadow of it, of the original. So, well, you, you run the risk of suffering second album syndrome, don't you? Kill a debut album, then you have to follow it up. And if it's even slightly not as good, people grumble. Yeah. You know, yeah. people do grumble and you go, oh, it's not as good as the first one. Yeah, and that's, that's human nice. nature. I mean, people, and you know what? People will still say this about your new speaker. They will. I know. It's I just, know. It's, it's just the way people are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. 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 That, that, that's the, that is the audio, you know, that is the audio world. That is, we recognize that, you know, people are passionate about it. They have their personal taste. They have their favorites mm-hmm. of how things should sound. And it's, it's a, a huge compliment when people fall in love with our product. So we should not take anything away from that. Absolutely. So, you know, somebody who absolutely loves their LS50, that's a wonderful thing. Yes. So what can we do? Well, we can make the new one just the best we possibly can engineer and, and make it sound as well as we possibly can now with the technology we have now that we didn't have in, in 2012 or 2013 when it came out. And and that's a lot. That's you know We talked very specifically so far about metamaterials uh, and then a little bit about the knock-on effect of implementing that. But there's a lot we've done uh, in other products since the LS50 that we've incorporated also into the new UniQ for Meta. So and without wanting to just list things, there's in the R-series, uh, the, the second generation R-series, one of the key things on that was the tweeter gap damper, if, if you remember that, John, with absorbing the sound that enters the gap around the tweeter in the UniQ. So, right. of course... That's something not in LS50 that's now in the new meta. Um, and in doing that, we also reworked the entire motor system of the mid-range too. So uh, an opportunity to do it again, to reduce the distortion, add some new tricks that we have learned since, uh, and just do everything we can to try and elevate the performance technically and you know, in terms of hopefully uh, objective, subjectively when people listen. As well, mm. certainly when we listen, we're really happy with the step forward we've made with the new version. So, is this another generation of UniQ? It's twelve. It's generation twelve, same generation as the uh, the R series, oh, the R yeah. series yeah. Mark II. And and what yeah. what marks out generation twelve is the inclusion of this tweeter gap damper that I mentioned. Um, right. Yes. Yeah. Now, being being metamaterial in there as well is kind of a special category of 12th generation with metamaterial absorption technology. yeah you have to forgive me for being vague about the tweeter gap um thing is because when you announced that or when when i was when that was announced to me i was in oslo at, at hegel mm-hmm. and it was a joint kef thing and it was the german distributor presenting it to a, a room full of german journalists and me and so i was having to listen in german yes yes going Oh, okay. So a hop turner is a tweeter. That's a, that for me was a revelation because I'm like, okay, I've learned a new German word. So I was sort of concentrating on the basics and the the the, uh, the finer technical points. I just had to let them wash over me. So I'm sorry if um, if, yeah, if I sound vague about that. It's not because I'm dumb. It's, I promise you, it's not. <laughs> yeah, right. So the tweeter gap damper. Let, so let me let me try and uh, give you the. The, the full story okay. in okay. your native language. If okay. Yes, please. Uh, the Uniq has been a you know, part of KEF for a long time now. Mm. 
Um, it was first in 1988. So the, the, the idea of Uniq is undoubtedly a good one. Let's make mm. two drivers uh, behave like they're one driver. Who doesn't want that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what wasn't appreciated as fully at the beginning as it is now is that when you put two drivers in such close proximity, there's a lot of interaction that you have to deal with right. if you really, really want to get you know as much out of it as you can if you want to make it really high end. So a lot of what we've been doing in the last... 10, 15 years is looking in a lot of detail at these interactions and where we find them, we try and find a way to deal with them. And the mm-hmm. tweeter gap damper is is quite a key one because on a Unicue, you have uh, the tweeter and then the mid-range forms a guide for the sound coming from the tweeter. But of course, the mid-range cone has to move. So right, you, yes, yeah. Yeah, and if you look at the uh, structure there, the... Uh, you have a stationary part directly around the tweeter where the tangerine waveguide's attached. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's stationary because we want to minimize the interaction between this moving waveguide and the tweeter. So we have a quite a big stationary part in the very middle, which is important. Mm-hmm. Yes. But then when you get out to the outside of that stationary part, we have to have a gap because now we've got to have the moving part, which is the mid-range cone. So yeah. what we found is you know it's always been there this gap but as you start mm. to clean up everything else in the uniq you find the bits that are left over <laughs> so mm. we could suddenly see that on our tweeter measurements we got a series of very small glitches and we tracked them down to this gap and what it's very simple the sound from the tweeter some of it goes down the gap mm-hmm. uh, uh, why wouldn't it and then you know, in our Uniqs, we've got various different structures in them uh, with different geometries down that gap, and there's little cavities and things. And on some, you know, on the old Uniqs, you get little resonances, and some of it bounces out the gap a little time later. Mm-hmm. So it causes these little. They look very small on a frequency response, but if you look at them on, I say, an impulse response, they're definitely uh, spaced apart from the initial sound coming from the tweeter. And Mm. if you look at them on something like energy time curve, you can see them more clearly. So really that's often the key with a technology uh, development is to find a problem. (laughs) Uh, And then then, the question is, well, how do you solve it? And the tweeter gap damper is how we solve that. So it's a structure that we bury into the driver that absorbs any sound that goes into this little gap. And the first time we did it was on the the R series Mark II, the the event that you were at with with Hegel. Yeah. yeah, and it doesn't sound like a big deal, and it doesn't look that significant if you look at the frequency response. But it was one of those where when we got all rid of it, we went, "Now I can really appreciate that that's been quite significant perceptually. That's made a big difference to the the quality of our treble sound." So, you know, it's basically one of the steps forwards in UniQ that. You know, we normally use these to demarcate generation. So that's why our series is generation 12. So, of mm. course, new LS50, uh, new UniQ from scratch, it had to be part of it as well for it really to be you know, generation 12. Right, I see. So you have the tweeter gap dampener in there as well yep. to maintain the generation um, nomen- nomenclature. 
Yes. I always have a problem saying that word. But yes. Much. Oh, yeah. Probably I do as well. I'm not going to repeat you. <laughs> repeat that. <laughs> you, know what's, you know what's really interesting about this? Well, all of this, actually, Jack, is that because you, you're explaining this in more layman's terms, it makes more it makes everything more relevant. So I can understand when you say, okay, John, look at the gap between the tweeter and the, the mid-range driver. And, you know, this is what we're doing here. And the thing is what a lot of companies do, I mean, Kef, but you're not alone in this, is that you tend to give these things titles or, or pseudo-branding, <laughs> right? And then when this pseudo-branding creeps in, you're like, well, okay, I understand what that does. And I'll probably include it in a news article, but I don't really know what it what it means in in, yeah. in an engineering I, sense, right? So I, this is why these podcasts are very important to me, even on a, just if even if it was just you and I chatting. So I, I get to understand, and therefore my listeners get to understand, you know what this shit really means. If I, if I, may, <laughs> yeah. if I may be so crude, you know. Uh, yeah, I I I see both sides to it. I mean, it's it, a lot of the time we're trying to explain things to people who are interested in Kef products quite quickly. So we can't go into this level of detail. But right, of course, right. we want to tell people that it's clever, that there's technology in there. So you do naturally tend to attach an acronym or come up with some phrase that you try and capture what it does in a few mm. words. But, you know, you, you, it's I, I really like being able to put you know, a bit more of a story out there with, say, this podcast, say, with our white papers, because there are a lot of people who are really interested in what we're actually doing. Um, yes. And also, it is quite accessible. You know, if you, if it, it, it's, a, it's a challenge, but to be able to explain something complicated so that anyone will understand it is, I think, part of uh, what we should be doing. You know, we're coming up with these technologies we've got to be able to explain them to people um in a in a way that they'll understand them and they'll be able to judge well is that something i i think is valuable to me uh so yeah we, we put a lot of effort into that i mean it's interesting isn't it because you can't make everything um you can't render everything into layman's terms because technology is just technology engineering is engineering there are some things that need a deep level of en you know engineering understanding you probably need to go to university to understand them but in a sort of rough pricey that you're giving us here, um, it, it certainly goes further than marketing materials. And I think, as you say, there are a lot of people who are very interested, myself included, um, into how this stuff works. And I'm, you don't have to go too much further for it to kind of really make me feel like I've had my mind blown by <laughs> the level of insight that you provided. I'm serious because a lot, I mean, when you get a lot of, um, you know, like different texts and they all have acronyms and you string them all together <laughs> and you get UniQ and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tweeter Gap Dampener and then you get a few others. Yeah, people, it's a bit blinding, people, isn't it? Yes, and you kind of tend to go, oh, I, th I think that's impressive. I don't know. Yeah. Right? And the, the thing is, is very few people are prepared to admit that they don't understand it. They just they won't put their hand up and go, what, what does this mean? To be, this is maybe completely tangential to what we intended to talk about, but... I, I think if the speaker is an interesting item because it, it, one person can more or less understand everything in a speaker, right? Mm. All of the technology. Uh, one engineer, you know, can, can do it. And that's quite a nice thing. As, mm. as somebody who designs loudspeakers, that's quite nice that, you know, mm -hmm. we, we're in that situation. You take a, a car, 
<laughs> but mm. I don't think there's like a single engineer who could engineer a car. It, you know, n- may, not certainly not to modern modern standards. So you couldn't have one right. guy who makes a decent car, but you could have one guy that makes a decent speaker. Yes, that's you very see true. What I mean, and it's, it's quite yeah. interesting. It's, uh, it, you know, as a as a loudspeaker engineer, it's something that we probably take for granted, but isn't true of a lot of other other engineering. This you know kind of ability to have the detail view and the overview. Um, I mean, it, it isn't it isn't particle physics. Let's put it that way. So, uh, you know, we can... Let me just f- finish this diversion with this, this last point, if you'll allow me. Yeah. Is that, in many ways, having somebody who can explain this stuff in, in pseudo-layman's terms or more relatable terms is a marketing skill in and of itself. You look at somebody like Andrew Jones. Yeah. ELAC are not just selling speakers because they sound good. They're selling lots of those speakers because Andrew Jones can talk about them in a very relatable way. He's a very relatable, nice guy, just like you're doing here. You're doing exactly the same as Jones does, which I think is not only informative, but let's not <laughs> ignore the fact that it could be, you know, it could be used as a marketing thing. They could put your face all over packaging jack and you can have a little <laughs> signature in the corner you know because it will it will happen to you eventually i'm sure it will yeah, and i think that's gonna that's, put that's people probably... off buying it <laughs> <laughs> but you know what i mean I mean, what i'm saying is it's like... andrew is i mean a master <laughs> of it i i and and i think the thing with andrew yeah. as well is that you can tell from the way he talks about the product the uh, attention to detail the care he puts into it mm-hmm. and 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 the fact that he has got his name on it as well it, you know it's not just a, a a brand it's he is you know the creator of those products i, I admire mm. that and I, I, it does work it, it, but it works it for the right it works for the right yeah. reasons exactly uh, that yeah but anyway sorry we've had it like i mean i do like to go off on these philosophical <laughs> diversions down again Am I allowed to ask about LS50 Wireless 2? Yeah, with relation with, with relation to the this so this new meta material um generation 12 UniQ, right? To finish off maybe on the meta, the mm. the thing we talked a lot about the, the driver, and that's because the driver has been where we have predominantly poured our efforts in meta and right. very strategically because the cabinet is and always was extremely extremely good um mm. so we focused our efforts on new technology in the driver and the cabinet uh there, there have been updates and uh, the design has uh, been updated uh, especially if you look at the back panel it looks phenomenal engineering wise everything that was in there is in there so the damp bracing the offset port uh the flexible port tube the low diffraction baffle so you know we very much focused our efforts on where we can introduce new technology to improve the, mm. the sound. Um, so we haven't talked about it, but it shouldn't be overlooked either that that's a big part of the original S50 and it remains mm. a big part of the Meta as well. And okay. uh, Wireless 2, really the same in, in, in terms of the acoustics. It is, as the original was, the same acoustics exactly as the mm. passive version. So the same driver, the same cabinet, all of the same technology. And it's really intended to, to offer the same choice. Uh, the, the passive 
you know, will appeal to people who want to have what's recognized by, you know, us as a hi-fi with uh, some other components driving it. Yes. They want to choose yeah. that. They want to have something that they enjoy the sound of that looks good. Um, that might be audible. Can you hear that? Somebody's not happy, but it's okay. <laughs> it's honestly, Jack. I, I love. I, I like. I like all this random shit. It's interesting. It makes it real. It's. it's you know, you're a real human being with like small children screaming in the background. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> and a train. And a train. I'm a, and I'm hiding from both. Okay. It's, it's okay. You could just. You could just plow on. It's. Uh, it's no problem for me. Okay. Good. Well, uh, and. So that that's the passive, but of of course, you know, the the appeal of good sound and good music goes beyond our kind of traditional hi-fi field. Mm. Music is so popular. Yeah, there's how many people do you meet and you say, "What music do you like?" and they say, "Oh, I don't like music." It doesn't happen. People love music. So the the idea that Kef should only exist uh, for you know, hi-fi. Um, for people who want this very specific kind of home audio experience mm. is one that doesn't really make a tremendous amount of sense. And the LS50 Wireless and the LS50 Wireless 2 were always about saying, well, how do we, un in an uncompromising way, allow, I'm going to say, a normal person <laughs> to experience this? <laughs> I, I should say what I mean by a normal person is somebody who isn't used to how hi-fi building works. And what they are right. used to is buying something that does a job. So they buy a phone and it does a job. They buy a laptop and it does a job. And the experience of buying an a piece of audio equipment is probably buying some headphones that do a certain job. They just take them out of the box, they set them up, and they listen to music. Or they might be somebody who's previously bought uh, a Bluetooth speaker. Mm take it out of the box, connect it to something, and they enjoy it. And the wireless is, has always been about that. You know, how mm. do we have that single purchase that gives somebody the full experience? So mm. it, it remains that. It remains that. And I think the thing that is really important about the original wireless and remains really important is its uncompromising nature. So we really want to do it in a very undiluted way, which is why it's got exactly the same technology as the passive speaker. Mm. So, you know, why should that person experience uh, a kind of lesser, a lesser sound, a lesser kef sound than, than the, mm. the traditional hi-fi guy? Um, so, yeah, uh, interestingly enough, with the, the wireless, I think it kind of hit on um uh another niche which we weren't as aware of which is the person who's fully aware of the hi-fi scene but they want something uh as an alternative they they maybe appreciate the extra technology that you can build into a dsp active speaker uh which we can talk about if you like and or yes or i would yes they're yes. interested in the the connectivity that we <clears throat> offer as well so mm. uh, it, it, it it's a product that has quite a wide appeal, um, I think. I would I would like to say something about this sort of the idea of people looking at passives, not ver I don't want to say versus active because it's not like an either or or a black and white kind of situation. But I think you know when when you guys first introduced the original LS50 wireless, 
you know, I saw a lot of people pushing back saying, well, no, because I can't choose my own amplifier. But that also presupposes that, well, when you can choose your own amplifier with the passive version, you know which amplifier you should be buying <laughs> or which one is likely to sound not best, but close to optimal for you. And one thing I've learned, and especially in the last five years, especially with dealers closing, is the ability for the average, even audiophile, to audition amplifiers is dwindling rapidly. So mm. they look to people like me saying, well, which one should I get? And I go, oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You know. And so there are certain amplifiers that I might recommend for LS50 passive, mm -hmm. but it's a big topic and there isn't a definitive answer. So what I like about LS50 wireless and therefore two is that you are saying, well, here is an answer made by KEF engineers or implemented by KEF engineers that also has the advantage of DSP crossovers and less mm -hmm. lower phase errors mm -hmm. that come with that and bespoke fit amplifiers at the driver level, right? Yeah. And then when you tell that to people, they go, oh, but then, uh, but then some, then some of them still go, but I want to choose my own amplifier. And then we round, we go again, you know? <laughs> so, so yeah, they're complimentary. It doesn't have to be yeah. a, a, a death match. Uh, no, not at all. But, <laughs> but, but, I, but I think, I think what I'm saying is, is a lot of people underestimate the difficulty in choosing an amplifier for a passive speaker. Yeah, it's, it, I do. It's such I a lottery. You've right. got to try it. You know, it's, you try this one. I don't like it sell it or borrow it or you know like it's just yeah it's not it's not an easy i mean to turn the 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 same thing around a little bit it isn't easy to design a amplifier that can drive a pair of any speaker i mean we're talking about ls50 but it isn't easy to design mm. a, an amplifier that can drive uh, an ls50 so that you're always getting completely transparent sound that there's you know, you're never uh, limiting, you're never restricting uh, the dynamic range at all. So, you know, mm. it, it, looking out, you know, at our colleagues and different brands who design amplifiers for passive mm. speakers, that's not an easy job. Um, and, and, you know, as an engineer, I appreciate what they do and mm. the innovations that they make and, and uh, enjoy a lot of products out there. Um, and, it's kind of a, a landscape which is rich with options, but that can also mm -hmm. be intimidating too. And, Completely, and yes. That um, you know, the the one of the things with an active speaker is actually that it takes the pressure off the amplifier design quite a lot because yeah. you're no longer having to push uh, the sound, the the, amp, the amplified signal through a passive crossover, and the amplified signal is no longer the full bandwidth it's now uh split up into uh two in our case a yeah lf and mf and a hf and and that actually makes the amplifier design simpler so it's one of the inherent advantages of the active um of the active setup so yeah i mean it, it is a choice for customers they can we if someone wants to buy the meta that's wonderful and make a lovely setup with some electronics to drive it and they will mm. uh, you know they, uh, if they choose everything wisely they'll get a wonderful sound they absolutely will uh, that's not for everybody so it, you see it's very complimentary really and and the key for us is why why are we doing it well ultimately it makes a sound we <laughs> you know, 
different bits of audio equipment do different things. What do speakers do? Mm -hmm. Speakers make a noise. We, we make a good noise and we can make a good noise passively or actively. So it's up to the customer which suits how they want to use it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, just to also touch on LS50W2 from a source point of view, you've got everything in there. You've got HDMI, Toslink. There is no USB, but also you on another streaming, you've got um, AirPlay, Spotify Connect, Rune proper Rune ready, and also this is the was the big surprise for me. Chromecast built in. Yep. Now, if you want to buy an amplifier that does all this for passive LS50 Meta. I can think of maybe only one or two companies that offer these. I mean, the one that springs to mind is is Name, who put Chromecast yeah. built in. Airplay, it's also right? HDMI or ARC as well now, which I think is really important too. But I mean, yes, connectivity has been a big part of LS fifty W success too, because people have all sorts of requirements. So mm. you know, to you know, we're we're at an elevated uh, product here compared to you know going in and buying a, a, a wireless loudspeaker for a, f a few hundred pounds, um, mm. which serves a very specific application. This at, at the elevated price point, the performance is elevated, but also people's expectations of of what it does. It becomes the centre of the, the sound in their house, so it kind of has to work with everything they could have. Um, and we, we do have some pretty hard choices with connectivity simply in the end because we we get restricted by space. <laughs> uh, the back mm. panel is full of connectors. So, yeah, the USB has gone mm. uh, in in preference to HDMI and also uh, coax input too. Mm. Um, so somebody with a computer, you know, they still can connect. They need to do it with Toslink uh, or using uh, maybe a USB adapter to get a Toslink. So it's still possible it's not maybe as convenient but the benefit is these extra other features and i think hdmi is a key one we know a lot of people are using ls50s uh with optical connections to the tv yes, uh, yes. really hdmi arc makes that experience so much better uh, because uh hdmi cec means that you can change the volume of the ls50 using a tv remote it means yeah, we yeah. can we can use the CEC power controls to turn the speaker on and off with your telly. And it, it it just then really becomes something that, you know, is a perfect fit for that situation. And I think that's really for a lot of people, uh, you know, your screen is your center of your entertainment world, uh, even when you're listening to audio a lot of the time. But, yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you here. And I think you've, you've prioritized the right thing from my point of view in that I think the use case for putting a pair of LS50 wireless either side of a TV is probably far more likely than putting a pair of LS50 wireless on a desktop and using them as desktop speakers. Because I actually think they're too big for most desktops. I think the I've, LSX are much better fit. Yeah, I have done it a couple of times with LS50W, and it can be quite intimidating because mm -hmm. they, they go loud. And they yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I... I Hopefully, yeah. I hopefully people also can see that too. And on the, on the the wireless connectivity, uh, we haven't really. You've mentioned it more than me, in fact. But behind the scenes on the uh, LS50 Wireless Two has been a tremendous amount of work on our streaming mm -hmm. platform. Absolutely huge huge step forwards in terms of the services we support. The the lot of work on the app. 
a lot of work on um, things that if this is the center of somebody's audio universe have to be there, you know, which mm. are things like podcasting, like internet radio, and a uh, lot more options for controlling the speakers with the app as well. So, uh, and, and kind of key to that is, is maybe think like a, a Swiss army knife of streaming services. So mm. trying to really make it do everything that anybody could want you know so yeah airplay to chrome uh, audio rune and lots of streaming services including you know spotify and tidal and uh, kubos etc so yeah it's and you've also put amazon h well just amazon music in there as well amazon right? music is on there too yeah and yeah and that's the, there's also some kind of i'm um, kind of scratching the surface there's support as well for uh, dsd uh, streaming there's support as oh. well for mqa as well so you know, it, it is an all all encompassing platform in its own right. That you know, if you look out there at other streaming uh, streaming products out there, as you said, I there won't be many that can do everything the new streaming platform can do on the wireless too. Well, this is, I mean, I don't want to overrate this putting too much, but this is something I've been talking a lot in my videos about a lot in my videos this year. Is that for me, Chromecast built in is the sort of missing link. For, for a lot of what I listen to, because I listen to a lot of SoundCloud, mm. and it's very hard to get SoundCloud from an Android phone into my hi-fi system. So Chromecast bridges that for me, so I can just sit there and punch in a DJ mix from Resident Advisor, and then listen to a podcast, and then press some play on Rune, and it will cut over to that, and then press play on Spotify, yeah. and it will cut to that. And that, for me, is just beautiful. Yeah, and it's, I think, multi-user wise where you know as we said it tends to a product like this it tends to be like the the audio product in the house so that doesn't mean it's always the the you know the person who's really into hi-fi who's using it it, it can be uh, somebody else in the house who just wants to listen to uh, the news at 10 uh, and yeah. and chrome audio is is now really widely supported and super easy to use so mm, it's i agree i think it's important to to you know recognize that this isn't a niche product uh when when you make something like this that's got all the connectivity in as well it has to work for other people who might not be so techy or might might not care so much am i listening to the the mqa master or am i listening to the <laughs> mp3 <laughs> so. well that's it but I, I think you know a lot of people are very attuned to chromecast mm. and this is why i've become a bit of a champion for it because it is something that it isn't i don't want to use the word man cave but i'm going to have to really like that, that, a product that specifies a broad range of um streaming connectivity options makes it more of a as you say a family thing mm -hmm. makes it more accessible yeah but you know, it takes it away from that sort of, yeah, the idea of, I don't know, <laughs> just audio files living in a bunker somewhere. And it, it brings it into the lounge room. And yeah. and it's not just a, a lifestyle thing. It's a very important part of the puzzle, for, for where I'm sitting anyway. I, I totally agree. I mean, I use Chrome. Uh, I bought a couple of the um, Chrome Audio little dongles when they were discontinued because mm -hmm. yeah they're just really great ways to 
you know connect easily and and you know bring equipment that didn't have any connectivity straight up into you know modern technology and i use them all the time and not only me everybody in the house does uh you know whether that's nursery rhymes or right screaming earlier (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. well this is it i mean you, you can use it for all sorts of purposes Um, can I can I swing the conversation back towards tech? Because yeah, yeah. Is, given that you're the guy that sort of like has worked on the inside of these speakers, did the new UniQ driver with all the with the Meta and the uh, well the generation twelve with the Meta, did that cause you to make any substantial changes to the way you um, implemented the amplification inside, or was it just a, a few small tweaks to kind of? We've changed the amplification fairly substantially but for not related Mm. to the uniq just related to uh analyzing how we could make uh, a a step forward in performance on the original wireless so the biggest change is in the high frequency amplifier where we've substantially increased the headroom Mm. so we had a 30 watt uh, rating before now we've got a 100 watt rating Mm. and it was something that we wanted to do as a as a way of opening up the dynamics in the high frequencies so mm-hmm. it, it sounds way overkill for a tweeter and you know 100 100 watts into a tweeter sustained is well it's not sustainable <laughs> it will break the tweeter. so it, <laughs> right. it's, it's there to give you instant headroom uh on dynamics mm-hmm. when you need it and and it is used and it does make a difference um uh and alongside that, our electronics team were able to also give us a little bit more on the LF, which is always nice to have when mm. when we're doing the balancing and the settings. A little bit more headroom always sounds better. It gives us a little bit more more control too. So there there have been yeah pretty decent tweaks on on the audio side. Oh, we've actually also one one big change uh, mm. which we haven't at all mentioned is that. There's a wireless link available uh, and out the box activated between the primary and the secondary speaker. Oh, so like like LSX? Yes, except that mm. this will, again, going maybe slightly back to why we didn't do it originally, the, the LS50 wireless was always trying to be very uncompromising. So mm. we didn't do a wireless link on the first generation because we want you know, we couldn't find a wireless link that was uh capable of the resolution that mm. we we thought was appropriate the the lsx has a wireless link that is 48 uh k 24 bit but yes. for the wireless uh ls50 wireless 2 we mm. have a link which is 96 24 um, right, and okay. it's extremely low latency as well it's i think 2.9 millisecond transmission time uh, it's also dead on that latency every time, so we don't compromise anything on the stereo imaging. So at, mm. at that point, you say, "Well, now you know what's what's the problem? Let's let's go with it," because that that then just makes the product so much more convenient for a lot of people. And and you know, we still retain the cable mode, just like LSX. You can plug in the cable, mm. uh, go into the app, enable cable mode, and the the transmission's then one nine two twenty four uh, for you know people who are listening to that higher resolution. Um, you know, yeah, because that was another thing when, when the first LS50 wireless came out, 
the fact there was an Ethernet cable between the two, that again brought the grumpies to the yard. You know, it's not it's not wireless. This has got a cable between the two speakers. You know, and I go, come on. <laughs> and which are probably is probably why you've is this why you've shifted the the the, the naming to LS fifty W rather than wireless, or was that a, a different conversation? Uh, no, that was a, a different conversation. The wireless in the original LS fifty W, sorry, the W in the original LS fifty W oh. always stood always stood for wireless i think yeah um it's just trying to be a bit more um well as, as we said earlier you end up with all these acronyms if you're not careful because we we have discussions internally and we say oh well why you know let's call this <laughs> xyz3 but it doesn't mean mm. anything to anybody so why not just call a spade a spade ls50 wireless two so yeah. it's more just plain language than anything else um right. but yeah i mean we talked about uncompromising, didn't we? The, the mm. po- point of the the wireless I- version has always been to be, you know, an uncompromising version. And uh, just on the first generation, the wireless technology we had available was a compromise. And mm. now, just doing it this many years later, we've got wireless technology now, which is uncompromised, ninety six twenty four, very low fixed latency. So we've put it in there. Um, and I think I think a lot of people will will use it like like that. But equally, we we know from LSX users that if if you've got it in a location that's convenient, then people will connect mm-hmm. the cable and they'll enable cable mode. Tell me, did the imp- well has the improved amplification you put inside given you more leeway with the the uh, the DSP for correcting for acoustic environments? Uh, it's given us more leeway on the DSP, uh, but not in, not so much on the correcting for environments. It's more mm. that in in the active, right? Sorry, in, in the two wireless products, the original and the new, we have mm. systems in the DSP to make sure you're not going to damage anything. Mm. So we we are like the ABS, the audio equivalent of your anti anti skid brakes. That mm-hmm. we won't do anything in, unless you're going to. Know, put your drivers in danger um and having that bit more headroom on on the amps means that we can run uh, that system a little bit more gently uh, so that is significant uh because you know it means that when you're playing you know uh, if you play if you turn everything to 100 then of course the abs is going to have to come on we're going to have to make sure you don't break anything but if you're listening just kind of at moderately loud levels we don't uh, we don't have to step in uh, as often as we did before so that's quite a you know, significant change. So, yeah, when when you change one thing, there are knock-on effects with uh, quite a few other bits, and that's certainly a good example. Do you, I mean, can, I mean, I guess this is a, not a controversial question, but I'm not trying to make it a leading question or a black and white question either. But the Id- the idea of DSP implemented crossovers has al- always been sold to me as superior than doing it in the passive domain with capacitors inductors mm. and resistors right mm-hmm. is is that your experience or are the, are there advantages to both sides of this no, equation the, the the passive a passive filter network is is a challenging thing to design mm. uh it's you know every every component in there um takes up space costs you a, a lot of money to put in there it has to be very carefully specified not to cause uh, distortion. Uh, mm. 
in addition to that, the level of control you have over the signals actually reaching the drivers is is way, way less than a DSP uh, crossover. So all of that is absolutely true, that when you go to DSP, the problems you know that we just mentioned disappear. Uh, mm. But there is, of course, you know, then other other things that you have to get right, and not all DSP crossovers are equal. Not all, not even not even all digital filters are equal. So, yeah, it's it, it's easier to be transparent, but you still have to, you know, be careful, dot the i's, cross the t's, make sure you're doing things correctly. And I, I think the pitfall is maybe that you go from maybe not quite having as much control as you'd like over the signals reaching the drivers to it almost being like, uh, you know, a, a sweet shop of <laughs> things you could do and mm. have it. I think we've been quite conscious that we uh, don't want to over apply uh, the, the DSP. Um, so I mean, th- there is uh, a lot more DSP applied in, in professional audio for speakers than, than a consumer and you certainly in the early days of that you did see crossovers made with incredibly steep filters that were <laughs> brick walls just cut off everything and mm. and um you know with some thought behind why that might be a good thing and we don't really uh see it that way we i think almost because we've been developing passive loudspeakers for so long we try and make our drivers easy to cross over and that doesn't change when you go active so they're not you know if they can be crossed over well passively they can mm. really really well be crossed over well actively you don't have to go to huge huge steep slopes but we we do you know take the advantage of going a little bit steeper we put on some response correction that if you did it passively it would just require so many components it wouldn't be worth mm-hmm. it um, and of course, then there are you get into the things you can't do. So things you can't do passively are correct the phase. Uh, mm. You can't have a, a system to step in and protect the drivers. Um, and you well, you could have some response adjustments. Some speakers do, but you certainly couldn't have the quite vast array of controls that we're able to to tune the speaker to placement or room um, and, and so on. So. Yeah, all, all in all, it's. I think the discipline of designing a passive, I still quite like that. Uh, mm. But yeah, it's it's certainly um, a nice thing to then go and do a DSP one, and suddenly the things you were struggling with on the passive just aren't there anymore. Right. So, are you itching to? I know you can't talk about forthcoming products, <laughs> but just on a personal level, would you be itching or interested to activate a blade? I I do, yeah. Well, I mean, an active speaker for me makes a lot of sense technically. Um, mm. I think that the the thing is that it's you have to execute everything very well to get a good result, and the number of things that you're putting into you know we go from a passive speaker where we've got the acoustics of the drivers and the cabinet and then the the passive crossover to then having to get the amplifiers right, to get the DSP right, to get the DAX right, to get you know all the streaming parts right. And, mm. you know, in the case of the LS50 wireless two, the wireless link between the speakers, right? So it, just in terms of, you know, the amount of engineering effort and the attention to detail, it, it it's not twice as hard. It's, four or five times as hard and and that's re- really reflected in the amount 
of engineering mm. effort that goes in to this. So the you know the, the engineering teams who've worked on the LS50 wireless. Uh, you know, there's many more engineers work, who've worked on that than the LS50 Meta. Engineers right. with expertise beyond driver acoustics, cabinet acoustics. So you know, guys who are specialists in RF, specialists in electronics, specialists in software. You know, so it becomes. I, I sp- Funnily enough, we talked about this, didn't we? A passive loudspeaker is one of the few things I think you can engineer as, uh, you know, one guy can understand everything yeah, yeah. in there, do everything about it. And and <clears> when you get to uh, a kind of complicated active speaker that's got streaming and DSP and wireless, you're beyond that. So it's much more of a collaborative effort. So, uh, I yeah, I can see the results of activating a blade, you know, Absolutely, could be phenomenal, but they would have to be done with care and attention on every single detail. It would be a big project, a big challenge. And you need a huge team to, to do it, right? You need lots of lots of different people to make this happen. <laughs> yes, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah right. I see. Yeah, of course. I think this is what, what's interesting as well is that <clears throat> the companies that are making active speakers now, especially digitally active speakers with streaming and apps, it really separates them out from the smaller businesses who are like, like almost like one-man garage manufacturers who are just doing passives. I mm. think for a while there, you could put a, a speaker made by a, like a one-guy operation next to a Kef or a Bowers or whatever, and they might sort of compete evenly or they may yeah. be seen. You, you'd be, I mean, a novice would might not pick which one was made and, by which company, right? Well, maybe not oh. just a novice, because the thing with a, a, a loudspeaker is that, it, you know, we're engineering it. We're looking at, uh, you know, objective data. We're looking at simulations. But there's the kind of the way that all comes together to present sound to somebody is something that's a, hard to put your finger on at all times. It's, it's hard to mm-hmm. look at, you know, your tweeter and go, well, what does that mean for the listener if I make this yes. change? So you do get, yeah. you know, these magical products where everything just comes together and it sings. And, and I mean, I think uh, in our history, we've made a, a few products like that that are, mm. you just listen to and go, wow, everything's just in its right place. Other, you know, there's lots of great manufacturers out there who've had those products. And it can mm. be that somebody with enough care and attention working diligently, you know, with just a small team can do that. Mm. Um, but yeah, once you go to the fully digital active um, streaming speaker, chances of somebody being able to do that all on their own you know, is, is pretty low, I think. Um, mm. Regrettably, in some ways, because it's it's a nice thing about uh, the industry that there is so much diversity uh, and lots of options out there. Um, mm. But I think there's still a lot of players even for complicated products, um, especially if you look at amplifiers, actually, there's lots of people making, you know, amplifiers with streaming built in, uh, with DAX built in and so on. So, You know, that's, yes, that's it. I mean, so I have this kind of concept in my head that I talk about sometimes called Futurify. And obviously the other 50 wireless is and the version two is falls exactly into that, that notion. But in the passive speaker world, for me, the Futurify, I mean, I'm looking at one right now, the NADM33 integrated, mm. which has streaming built in. It's got a DAC, it's got a phono stage and room correction. So you just have to add speakers to it. It's even got a headphone socket. So 
that for me is the future fight in the context of passives. And that, I guess that's where I get really excited about, you know, like what I call super integrated and passive speakers and mm-hmm. then streaming actives, which are sort of like their cousin really. Yeah. And I, I think a lower box count, I think really that's what the essence of it is, even though mm. that's probably not what I intended it to be is the lower box count is I think one very strong future for let's call it high performance audio, high end audio. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Sound, you know, I, I really do think so. I, th- I think the days of multi-stacked, you know, like, and I have them like multi-stack gear mm-hmm. is, 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 will remain this very strong niche, but it will still be a niche. I don't think there's a lot of growth potential there, but with what you're doing, especially with LS50 wireless too, I mean, I think you'll have tremendous success with that speaker mainly because of its functionality. And then the sound will obviously, you know, clinch the sale, but, yeah, I mean, I hope hopefully. I mean, it is, it is a kind of knowing a knowing strategy. And as I said mm. uh, before, you know, hi-fi, it's a hobby to people, it's a passion to people, um, but it is a narrower f- <laughs> market and passion than mm-hmm. music, and and it can be, you know, hard sometimes to keep sight of the fact that this is about people's pleasure, about their musical enjoyment um, as mm. much as you know the equipment itself. So doing both allows us to um, hopefully open up uh, good sound, kef sound, uh, to other people who you know, would, wouldn't normally go and consider buying a hi-fi. So, uh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you, John. So essentially what you're doing is you're removing the barrier between... Yeah your sort of average, like my mum and dad or whoever, you know, between them and wanting to have good sound and easy access to music in the house. You're yes. not forcing them to go through this, this um, uh, system compilation process where they have to choose. In, I mean, it's a, it's a nightmare. I'm, I, I've, it really is so difficult to try, try and get all this stuff together. And you're taking that away, essentially, which for some people is part of the pleasure. But yeah, for, yeah, but uh, for the broader market, it really isn't. It's a pain point. Yes, it. I, I there's you. You put your finger on it. And if you think about somebody's uh, audio, you know, equipment journey. I mean, we've mm. all, all of us who work in this industry or are passionate about hi-fi have them. You know, you know. Oh, I know the first speaker. I bought the first amp. I bought. But if you take the mm. equivalent for somebody who's into music, then it, it probably you know looks like a pair of headphones they bought maybe then a better one that was mm. bluetooth smart noise cancelling uh, a, a bluetooth speaker then maybe a you know a wireless speaker that had uh airplay or uh chrome audio built into it and then you mm. say well what comes after that if they you know if they're looking for well i want better sound i want more of this i've got a bit more money to spend are we mm. really going to say to them, okay, now you have to have a retrograde step where you take away all the convenience you've been using, but you right. get better stuff. Yes. So yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's the key with LS50 Wireless 2 and also with the products you mentioned, the uh, in, super integrated, as you call them. Mm. Yeah, the yeah. Same, the same, exactly. Why, why should you have to choose between performance and convenience? You shouldn't have to. You should be able yeah. to have both. On that note, Jack, I will say thank you very much for your time today. It's been an absolutely wonderful conversation. Um, and it's also nice to talk to somebody who's, 
I hate to say it, younger than me. You know, it's not a very PC thing to say, but there aren't many real bright sparks in the audio industry who are, I mean, under 35, under 30, or under 40 even, you know? So it's it's really great oh, to be able to get... definitely you know, flattering me now, because I'm in the well, third category you mentioned. <laughs> well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I mean, I guess... Yeah, I, I forget. I mean, I, wouldn't, I wasn't going to ask you how old you were. I, mean, I, did that one, I did that once before, and people thought it was a bit weird. But, like, I think it, I think it does matter. I we'll think keep it important. bracketed to five-year ranges. So that, okay, you know, all right. There's, there's some mystery there still. But, no, well, no I mean, no, I, I work with a team of uh, young engineers actually so they really? are there yeah yeah we we're we're all i mean there's it's quite a big group of engineers but yeah there's some good, really great young engineering talent out there and i'm sure it's not just in in kf in fact i know it isn't i know good really good young engineers in in other hi-fi brands too so it is out there it, it, it'll good to hear be, yeah but and uh, yeah. anyway back to <laughs> thank you for the opportunity to come and chat to you about it. It's yeah, my so pleasure. nice to explain everything uh, to somebody who wants to know the details because you know, there's many, many hours of, of work uh, by me, but also the wider KEF uh, engineering team, you know, in Mainstone mm. and other countries throughout the world as well. So yeah, we um, are really excited about these and hope that we can be something like the success of the the first versions the ls50 and the ls50 wireless all right jack well thank you so much no you're very welcome john great to talk to you and hopefully see you in person at some point who knows let's see yeah a couple <laughs> of years maybe a couple, a couple of years, of years. <laughs> yeah you have been listening to the darko audio podcast with me john darko and kef's jack ockley brown this episode was produced by Nick McCorriston. Reading the advert content was Jana Dagdagan, and music came from Ben Pitt. <laughs>